Waypoint, who's excited to be here today? I need to see some hands. <laughs> Please hold your hand up. Okay. Please hold your hand up. Come on now, keep them up. <laughs> I'm just taking the notes here for volunteers for our two and three year olds class. So uh, thank you. We have plenty for about 10 years worth here. So thank you very much. No, that wasn't very nice. So oh, another question. Who's nervous today? <laughs> Who's nervous for me? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, first time for everything. This is definitely not my uh, comfort zone, so uh, God will see us through this this morning, and hope we'll all, all learn something, and He's glorified in it. So uh, the message this morning is going to be titled, A Merry Christmas. So those of you who are taking notes, that's, that's going to be the title this morning, is A Merry Christmas on that. So to get over our, our nervousness, since y'all are nervous as I am, uh, Miss Rhonda... Uh, knows a little bit of sign language and one of the things we teach up in our two and three year old class and she has done it and I want you guys to kind of do it with me so we can all say we learned something today when we go home. That's the object is I'm going to teach the, the, the chapter of Acts in about 10 seconds. So Seth, keep going on out here, okay? Basically, uh, what we try to teach our, our, our young kids here. Paul, let's do it, spoke about Jesus and the resurrection. There's the book of Acts. There we go. So, but Seth does a wonderful job in Acts. We've been here for, for quite a few months and he's still plowing through. So, anyways, that's a. So, if any of your kids, you ever see them kind of doing that, that's what we kind of teach them every now and then is, is Paul spoke about Jesus and the resurrection. So, anyways, what that has to do with uh, Merry Christmas, I don't know, but uh, just something to kind of get our nerves undone. So, Seth, about a month ago, asked for Bo and I to uh, to speak uh, in a couple of month, a couple of weeks, and it's my turn. Uh, Bo, it was a couple of weeks ago, and he kind of mentioned, "Yeah, you know, now that it's Christmas time, why don't you pick out a, a verse or two about the Christmas story and expound on it?" I'm going a favorite Christmas verse. How do you do that? Does everyone have a favorite Christmas verse? I personally, the whole story is everything. So I'm going like, how do you pick out a favorite verse when it's kind of like, I was thinking of Seth and Bo, they both have four children. I said, I was thinking, pick out your favorite child and brag about it. <laughs> it's hard to do. It's, you love them all. You love them all. So they're all equal. But uh, anyways, that's just kind of what my thinking was. So in, in a kind of a change of thought, I thought, uh, let's look at, a, look at uh, some worship songs that we sing during Christmas. All of our favorites. There's a ton of them that we sing. Sing some this morning. Uh, and I want you guys to interact with me. I said, this is not a preaching moment because I'm not a preacher. This is kind of teaching stuff. So if I ask a question, answer it. Okay? Well, let's all, we're all part of here. Let's just have this as a teaching moment. So if I ask a question, let's, let's answer it because I will. I will ask a question here. Many of them to this, this message. So the question this morning is, is uh, why do we sing worship songs? There's that question. Huh? Praise God. That's a good one. Anyone else? That kind of nails it pretty good right there. So. <laughs> kind of hard to beat that one. Okay. And that was the number one. Because they're fun to sing. I just kind of, they are fun to sing. Christmas time, we sing a lot of Christmas. They're just fun to sing. Everybody knows them. And you kind of get in the, in the mood for Christmas uh, to praise God, uh, to fun to sing, to rejoice. 
This is another one I come up with. Uh, to reflect. And we can go on and on and on and on of, of why we sing uh, worship songs on that. So we'll just stop at that uh, on that. So I just want to kind of look at and see what uh, King David and uh, some of the psalmists have to say about singing worship songs. Okay? Uh, in the book of Psalms alone, it's recorded over 70 times that we are to sing. That's just Psalms. It's recorded over 70 times that we are to sing. Okay? Psalms 81 says, tells us, Sing for joy to God our strength. Psalm 33, sing joyfully to the Lord. Okay, Psalms 92. Let's turn to Psalms 92 real quick. Or if you don't know where Psalms in, take a little time. Psalms 92. What we're looking for there. I, I woke up with a little bit of a sore throat this morning. And with a runny nose, like I think a lot of people are. I took some antihistamines. Now my tongue is sticking to the side of my mouth. So... If I start warning off somewhere, <laughs> somebody stand up. Dwayne, focus, focus. <laughs> that antihistamine's kicking in. So, anyways, I will try to get through this. Is everyone at uh, Psalms 92? Okay. <clears throat> Psalms 92, verses 1 and 2. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to thy name, O Most High, to declare thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness by night. That's just another one, just a couple of pretty voices, uh, verses that, uh, that speak about singing joyful, joyfully to, to our Lord and King. Uh, the psalmist write that word sing in those, in those three times and pretty well everywhere else you see it. Uh, in scriptures in the imperative tense. We've got an English teacher here. Where'd she go? Imperative. What's that mean? There you go. In the imperative tense. So when the psalmist were, were writing these uh, sing for joy to God. Sing joyful to the Lord. It is good to sing praises. Those aren't requests. We all kind of think they are, but they're commands. We are commanded by Scripture to sing praises to God. So, I'm an application guy. And we are in numerous areas, not just Psalms, but numerous areas throughout the Scripture. It, is, it, is, uh, it tells us that we are commanded to sing. So, the application part of that is let's be obedient and make a joyful noise waypoint. Okay? That's the application part. Okay? Let's be obedient. It's not a request. It's not like if I feel good. Our God almost is almost high and deserves all glory and praise. So let's sing. Let's sing praises to Him. Sometimes we sing uh, Christmas songs. We come across words or phrases, or wonder, where did that song come from? The original version of it. Where did it come from? Do y'all, I do that. I, I, I'm kind of curious. We sing a lot of songs out of rote sometimes, but I think it's important for us to know why we're singing them and what we are singing. We may not be, should be singing some of these songs <laughs> after you find out what they're truly meaning or what they're about. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. We're not going to talk about any of those. But the ones we got here are, are very good, good songs. So, uh, so I got with Seth and, and uh, got a list of the songs that we're going to be singing tonight in our concert. I took uh, most of, took most of those and added a few of my favorites in there. And so I think it'd be just fun just to kind of look at them and see some of the songs that we uh, we sing. <clears throat> First one I come up with is the all-time favorite, "Joy to the World." 
Okay, I think that's everyone's favorite, and even in society, it's it's a favorite because it is, in this day and time, it, it holds the record for the most professionally recorded Christmas songs by all across the world. It's Joy to the World. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, Joy to the World, a little information on that, was written in 1719 by Isaac Watts. Okay? Watts is credited with writing over 750 hymns. That's, that's busy. I, <laughs> 700, I didn't, I didn't even know there were that many. I mean, there's not in, the, in our old Baptist hymnal that we used to have. But <clears throat> anyways, that's a lot of writing. <clears throat> uh, some of the songs that you're, you're going to know, I'm going <clears> to <throat> tell you here in a little bit, are some of his most popular songs that we hear besides Joy to the World. Uh, when I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Okay. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And this is the day the Lord has made. Those are just some of the top three, top four counting the ones that he has, has written. So, talking about joy to the world. Let's dig into that a little bit, that song. How many of you guys think that this song, Joy to the World, is about the birth of Christ? I don't see any hands. This is where y'all get to interact. How many of y'all think that this song is about the birth of Christ? It's actually a trick question. Okay? But those that held up your hands, you are right. Partially. Okay? Uh, so let's dig into it a little bit and see. <clears throat> Isaac Watts was inspired to write this song from Psalms 98. So let's turn to Psalms 98 and read it. <clears throat> Rhonda, would you mind getting me a little glass of water, please? I couldn't find any little bottle of water. So everyone found uh, Psalms 98. And remember, this is what inspired Isaac Watts to write Joy to the World. Keep that in mind while we read this. It's nine verses, so it won't take very long. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done wonderful things. His right hand and His holy arm have gained the victory for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His loving kindness and His faithfulness to the house of, the, of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, or the lyre, however you say that. With the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the King of the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Some of those verses, and we, we probably remember those were in parts of different songs and stuff uh, on that. Uh, so, thinking of, of Isaac Watts and what he was inspired to write Joy to the World with, was Psalms 98. So it's kind of divided up into three parts. Uh, verses 1 and 3 are about uh, praising God as the deliverer. Verses 4 and 6 are about praising God as king. Verses 7 through 9 are praising God as ruler. So that's how uh, Psalms 98 is, is divided up. So I want us to concentrate on, <clears throat> on verses 6 and 9. And that's what uh, uh, inspired mostly uh, for Isaac Watts to write this song. So let's go to verse 6. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. Okay? Trumpets were used many times in Scripture, or are mentioned many times in Scripture, to announce the Lord's judgment. Okay? 
So this is what we're getting at here in verse 6. Uh, just a number of places. Uh, Joshua chapter 6. Okay, we've heard this story many times going up Bible school. Trumpets were blown as Joshua led the Israelites around Jericho. Okay. Second Chronicles 13. Trumpets were blown as Jeroboam and his army was defeated going against King David. Okay. Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah heard trumpets as God prepared to judge Jerusalem for its sins. Okay. So are we kind of leaning to a different thinking on joy to the world yet? Okay. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Okay. Watch used verse 9 as his main thought for the song. So verse 9, let's read that again. Before the Lord, for he is before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So as Isaac Watts wrote this song, this was this was how he wants in his words is how he he wanted us to sing this song. Okay? So this is how we should sing Joy to the World. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Isaac Watts was more concerned with the return of Christ than he was the birth of Christ. So that kind of changes our whole thinking about that song that we've sang since we were for a little bitty. So my question is, is are you prepared for his return? Or are you more focused of him in a manger? Isaac Watts was more concerned of his return. So that was, that was a very interesting on joy to the world. I'd never, I would have never thought that. Okay? It's more about his coming back than it was his, his birth. So, very interesting. Thank you, Isaac Watts, for writing that, along with 750 other hymns. Like, man. Another favorite, the first Noel. We all love that song too. All these are very popular. We all love all these songs on that. This song was written, written by Davies Gilbert in 1823. Gilbert was an engineer, an author, and a politician. So my thinking is, there is good come from some politicians. So, <laughs> you know, so you know, that's, that's a joke. We'll take it. If we have any politicians in here. <laughs> but he was a man of many means. So let's, let's focus on that, that word Noel, the first Noel. What does that mean? Okay. Raise your hand. What does Noel mean? We, say, we have sang, sang this song for many, many years. What is, what is the first Noel? What are we singing about? Christmas. Christmas. Okay. Very good. Okay. Noel is an early modern English synonym of Christmas. Isn't that interesting? Some of you probably all knew this, okay? But that's what it is. Noel is, is just another word for uh, Christmas. So when we sing the first Noel, we are singing about the very first Christmas. Christ's birth. That's what Noel is about. So anyways, just trying to get your mind thinking when we sing these songs this time of year, think about these things. Don't just sing the words because we know them or or have them memorized, but we are singing about the very first Christmas, the birth of Christ, the first Noel. The four verses in the, in the first Noel is basically following follow the story laid out in Luke chapter 2. And you will probably hear that, that uh, Luke chapter 2 many times today. Another favorite, 
O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Okay, another favorite. This song was written around 1710, but there's evidence by some records that the text has been linked to the 12th century. So it's been around a while, but we're not finished with that yet. Okay? Some report that they can trace parts of this song back to the year 800. A very old song, very old song, okay? A Jesuit priest, members of the old German church, and an English poet named Seinwolf are credited with parts of this song on that. So been very, around a very long time. Well, that's some uh, neat history about uh, this song, O Come, O Emmanuel. But I want to focus on the, the, uh, the name in that song, Emmanuel. Okay, we all sing that. We've all heard that in Scripture many, many times, Emmanuel. And I think probably most of us probably know what it means, but there's a question, what does that mean? What does the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. Everybody agree with that? On the same page? Very good. I knew that's pretty popular, and that's been around a lot. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel is referenced 48 times in Scripture. God with us. Isaiah 7.14, Matthew 1.23 gives us examples of this, of uh, Emmanuel, God with us. Me personally, I like the Greek definition better. Anybody know what the Greek definition is? Add one little word in there. God is with us. Okay, I personally like that one better, with the emphasis on is. Okay, and this is kind of you, if you know a little bit about Greek tradition and how they are, they're pretty loud, you know, outgoing and loud and rambunctious type of people. So I can kind of, I can kind of imagine them back in the day of of I, I love sports, watch them all the time. Uh, Tiger Woods, y'all have seen Tiger Woods sink a 15 foot putt to win the Masters? What does he do? We all see that. See our quarterback score. Is that? This is what. This is my imagination. <clears throat> Whenever the Greek said this, God is with us. I mean, it's emphasis. Okay, it is. He is with us. It's not like God with us as we sing. It's it is. He is with us. Anyways, y'all think of that song. Think of how the Greeks said, "God is with us." Okay. Another favorite. <clears> oh, <throat> come all ye faithful. This song is claimed by numerous authors dating as far back as 16, 1600s. The version we sing today was put together by all the other references uh, by an English Catholic priest, Frederick Oakley, in 1841. He condensed the three to four verses we sing today from the original nine. I've been alone. Just, just sing one song today. We're just, you know, covers nine verses. Okay. But he condensed it down. Oakley was inspired by. Luke chapter 2, okay, verses 8 through 16. After the angel greeted the shepherds and announced the birth of Jesus, Oakley imagined what kind of conversation the shepherds must have had. He kind of thinks weird like I do. He's kind of thinking, what were, they, what were the shepherds, what were they talking about? So this is what he came up with. They may have said stuff like, come, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's come and behold the king of angels. Come and, and reflect on the Messiah, the word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. So that's what he was inspired by in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 6. Is just what the uh, shepherds were talking about after that, that moment of, of being greeted by, by the angel. 
Kind of put yourself, that's kind of what some of these uh, authors did. They were kind of putting their self in first-hand experience whenever they, they wrote these songs. So. Next song, and I know this is Seth's favorite. What is it? There you go. Oh, Holy Night. This, was, this is another interesting one. It was originally a French poem written by a wine merchant and a known poet, Placida Chapeau, in 1847. It's originally a French song. In 1855, a Unitarian minister, John Sullivan Dwight, translated it into English for us. The story of, of how this came about is Placide was asked by his priest to write a poem for their upcoming Christmas Mass celebration that they were fixing to have uh, back in 1847. God, apparently he knew he was a poet, so he asked him, would you mind writing a poem for our, our Christmas Mass? Uh, Placide said, sure, I'd love to do that. As he was riding in coach to uh, a uh, local town, village, to do his wine business as a wine merchant, he wrote down the, the poem on his way there and finished it on the way there. And after he read this poem to a good friend, Adolph Charles Adams, Adolph said, that poem needs to be put to music. Well, it just so happens that Adolf was a composer. <laughs> so, of course, he's going to say, put it to music. So he got together and wrote the music to Ho Oh, Holy Night. In a little history about Adolf, the composer, he later on became a brilliant composer. And for those of you that know music, I don't. I don't. So uh, later on became a, a huge, brilliant composer. Placide Chapeau stated he used, again, the Gospel of Luke for inspiration in writing O Holy Night. And here once again, he imagined being a first-hand witness of the birth of Christ, actually being there during that whole process. So that, that's where his mindset was when he wrote O Holy Night. In a short amount of time, he wrote uh, to a nearby town. So I thought that was, that was very interesting how that came about on O Holy Night. Hark the herald angels sing, another favorite. These are all favorites. I need to keep quit saying that. They're all favorites. This song was written in 1739 by Charles Wesley. Familiar name? Okay, familiar name. He was a major leader in the Methodist movement. Listen to this one. Y'all thought 750 was a lot of hymns? Charles Wesley is known for writing over 6,500 hymns. <laughs> so, wow, it's unbelievable. Uh, it must have uh, a great gift uh, of writing, 6,500 hymns. His inspiration for Hark the Herald Angels Sing, again, Luke 2, 13 through 14. As you can kind of see, if Dr. Luke had not written his gospel, we probably wouldn't have any Christmas songs. You know, after I, you know, because they're, they're all inspired by Luke, you know, and it, uh, that, that's the only reason why he wrote Luke so we could have Christmas songs. But it's just, a, it's just been a profound book for so many people over the ages that uh, inspiration for all these uh, Christmas songs and the, the birth of Christ. Wesley, in writing this song, Wesley quoted scriptures in the first lines of the song. Okay, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king and peace on earth and mercy mild. And after writing those first three uh, verses of Scripture, he then, in his own interpretation, uh, 
gives us the fourth line. God and sinners reconciled. And that's what his interpretation of those first three verses are. Let's look at that word reconciled out of heart the herald angels sing. That's an interesting word. What's that word mean to you guys? It's okay, y'all get to speak out. Anyone know? Reconciled? I'm sorry? Come to terms? Yes. Good. How about restore? That's kind of what we, but that's exactly right. Come to terms or it's coming to restore. It's basically mending a relationship that has been broken to making it better than it was before. That's what that word restored me. Not just where it was mended, it's been repaired to where it has been better than it was before. So that's where we get that word reconciliation means. It means a little bit more than just, okay, we're okay. It means that we are better than we were before than what the, the event. So anyways, just a little thing. My hand movements and stuff is just basically, so I'll do this. Y'all are getting a little sleepy out here, so I'll do this. God, in the beginning, created man, and there was harmony, right? There was harmony. Well, what happened in the Garden of Eden? Sin came into the hearts of men. What happened to that relationship? We were at odds. God, in His perfect plan, before time, knew that there was going to need to be a reconciliation. So He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be that reconciliation. Now, we have a relationship that's been restored, but it's stronger, stronger than this was good. And now with the reconciliation of Jesus Christ, we are stronger because of Christ. That's just a little, that's the kind of stuff we teach our two and three year old kids. So y'all kind of, you can kind of see Ron and I's mindset. <laughs> Keep it simple <laughs> for, for me. <laughs> So anyways, when you, whenever you uh, hear that word reconcile, and that's what uh, uh, Wesley was talking about. God and sinners reconciled. They were reconciled. That relationship is better because of what Christ did for us. Let's go to the next one. And uh, we're, we don't sing, we're not going to sing this song tonight, but this is one of the favorites that we sing. Or it's actually a word that we sing in a lot of our songs. Hallelujah. Can any of y'all spell that word? <laughs> I cannot. It's a very hard word to spell, but hallelujah. We sing this in a lot of our, of our songs. Okay, that's another good word. What does hallelujah mean? Y'all are quiet. Praise. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's exact. In Hebrew, it means praise you, praise you, Jehovah. Praise you, Jehovah. Praise you, Yahweh. So when we sing this word in our songs, that's what we're singing. Praise you, Jehovah. Praise you, Yahweh. For us, in our English language, it's more like praise you, Lord God Almighty. And that's whenever we hear that word, hallelujah, think of that. We are praising you, Lord God Almighty. Uh, instead of just saying that word on, uh, out of rote. And, and I know I do that. We just sing Christmas songs out of rote because we love the songs. But uh, there's meaning to them. There's meaning to these words, that we, so we need to be careful of what we sing. Hallelujah. How many have heard, and I'm sure most of you have, have heard George Handel's Messiah? That's, that's a long, long version. A uh, little information about George Handel's Messiah, because uh, that word hallelujah is in there a lot. 
He was a composer and writer for operas. He was an opera writer and composer. He wrote the lengthy Messiah in three separate parts. Basically, the life of Christ, you know, the birth, the life, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. That, that covers the gamut of, of Christ. That was his mindset. When he was writing this, this opera, uh, Messiah, when he had finished the manuscript, he set his writing instrument, I don't know, it wasn't a ballpoint pen. Maybe his feather, I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> Whatever he used, he set, the, he set his writing instrument down and just reflected. He picked back up his, his writing instrument and wrote, To God alone, the glory. You know, isn't that neat? After he wrote this whole huge opera, it all focused down to God alone, the glory. So I appreciate uh, George Handel's uh, mindset and thinking that it was all about God. It, was all, it wasn't about him being a great composer. It wasn't about him being a great opera person. But he was about giving God all the glory uh, for this outstanding uh, uh, Messiah song. Just another little uh, trivial question not a question but a statement just in the in the messiah he uses the word it is mentioned 167 times in in the messiah so do you think that was kind of important praise god jehovah is mentioned 167 times uh, in in his opera that he wrote so very important to to george handel that god was to get all the glory in writing this song Angels We Have Heard on High, another favorite. This was written in 1862 by James Chadwick, a Catholic priest. So guys, we need to quit picking on our Catholic friends because we've already had a couple of them here. Jesuit priest and a Catholic bishop, it's okay. <laughs> oh, that. So uh, this uh, James Chadwick, he was also a college professor of philosophy. Uh, his inspiration was, uh, once again, a chapter of Luke, okay? Mainly verses 2, I mean chapter 2, verses 14. The main phrase or statement in this Angels We Have Heard on High is the chorus we sing, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. That's hard enough to even say, okay? But we sing it many, many times. Okay, let's just kind of look on that. What, what does that mean? What does that mean to you guys? In Excelsis Deo. Anybody know Latin? Not me. What we're singing there, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, is Latin for glory to God in the highest. We just got through seeing our youngins sing that right up here. Scripture. Glory to God in the highest, inspired by Luke chapter 2, verses 14. Since we are talking about Luke chapter 2, it's hard to not get up here and uh, not read the Christmas story. It's an all-time grass. No, it's a little lengthy, but I think we need to read. That's Ron and I growing up, raising our two boys. That we always—that was kind of our tradition during Christmas—was reading Christmas story. So I think we need to do that. If my voice holds out, Seth, you may have to come up and finish it. Luke. It's all turned to chapter Luke. I mean, book of Luke, chapter two. We all know where it is. Very common. And this is the Christmas story that we always try to read. And this, what I'm fixing to read, has inspired many, many, many Christmas songs. Just this one chapter here, uh, as you can tell by the, the ones that uh, referenced here. Okay. Is everyone there? 
Okay, this will take a while, but let's just read it and concentrate. And as we read it, think of what these men were writing down, because they were inspired by what we're fixing to read. Maybe you'll be inspired to write a famous song or so from it. Who knows? You just never know. Uh, let's start. Now, it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken with Quirinius was, while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, he was engaged to him, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. A great story. But it's not just a story. It's a fact. Okay? And that's what most of these men, uh, besides Isaac Watt and Joy to the World, used. And you, if, as we read through there, could you pick up some of the verses that were in some of these songs? It's, oh, yeah, that's in that song. Oh, yeah, that's in that song. But that's what they used for inspiration on that song. So. Well, Seth, I have to admit, I do have a favorite verse. <laughs> I was just giving my hard time. My favorite verse, Christmas verse, is, is verse 19. Let's go back to 19. But Mary treasured up and all these things, pondering them in her heart. Okay, that's my favorite. So let's, let's look at that word a little bit. Ponder. What does ponder mean? See some hands out here? Ponder? Think? Deep thinking? Okay, reflect? Stuff like that? Okay. Well, the word ponder in the Scriptures means to gather, combine, and weigh out. That's what that means. So, uh, what did Mary ponder about? It says that she treasured and pondered these things. What did she ponder about? What did she gather and combine and weigh out? Uh, Miss Rhonda's been working at the cotton gin a couple of years. and 
the Sorleys and, and Seth know a little bit about this. We're all learning. Is that you can kind of use this word as a harvest term. So what do we in cotton? What do we do? We gather, we gather all of our cotton in. They put them in the pretty little rolls or the modules and stuff. We gather them. Then what do we do with them? We combine them. Take them to the gin and combine them. It goes through all the all that mess in there, uh, and it's and it's combined. And then it's weighed out. It's weighed out. And as you farmers want to know, what's the first thing y'all ask? Okay, whenever your, your uh, crops are are processed, how many pounds do I have? How much? Is it, how many bales do I have? How many pounds of cotton do I have in that bale? That's the first, that's the weighing out. That's the end result. So this is a basically the uh, the mindset of Mary when she pondered all these things. She combined, she gathered, and she weighed out all this information and she treasured them up in her heart. Well, let's, uh, let's look and see what we can find. What did she ponder about? Now that we know what the word means, let's see what she pondered about. What did Mary have to ponder about in her short life of maybe 15 years? That's kind of what the experts were saying, maybe 15. Technically, it could have been 12, 13 in the, in the Jewish custom at that time of legal marriages and stuff. But they're kind of saying 15 to 16 years old. Well, as a 15 to 16 year old, I can tell myself, I probably didn't have much to ponder about when I was back in 15. I was worried about me. No, I didn't care about all I was just that's. So she pondered about the, as a 15, 16 year old at that time. Besides what the shepherds had been discussing in, in chapter, I mean, in verse 17, because they were discussing this stuff in front of her. If you just read the scriptures, they were discussing all this stuff. Uh, like uh, a savior has been born in the city of David. They were talking about that in front of her. He'll be uh, wrapped in, in cloths in a manger. They were discussing this stuff in front of her. The shepherds seeing the, the multitude of angels singing, glory to God in the highest. They were talking about this in front of her. All this, they were discussing all this. So she was pondering all this. The thing that it is, all these things that the shepherds have been discussing, discussing about what what they had experienced mary was kind of sitting back saying this is my life i've actually been living this physically kind of the saying as we say been there done that had a t-shirt type thing she's been there she is living this so that's the things that she was pondering over that was just from what scripture tells us that the shepherds were talking about and i'm sure they were discussing many more things but that's what scripture just lays out right there that's those are the things that she was pondering about okay so here's some other things that, that uh, kind of like Paul, where's Paul read? Somebody's in there somewhere. Back here. When Paul's teaching stuff, I, I got to get tickled at him. When, this is my opinion, you know, and he explains it. So but when he uses scripture, he comes out there, so I get tickled at him doing that. So I'm kind of doing like Paul is. This is kind of my opinion uh, on some of the things, in, but it's in scripture. But these are some of the things that I think Mary may have also pondered about. It doesn't say that she did. But these things did happen, but I'm not sure what all she pondered about. But just, there's just some, some neat things that she may have uh, pondered about during this uh, life experience. How about the visit of the angel, Gabriel? That would have been pretty neat. Scary. Well, how, would, how would any of you guys react if an angel appeared before you? I honestly don't know. <laughs> That would be a kind of like Paul even said this morning in in his sermon. Every time an angel appears before somebody, people are always frightened, and the first thing they say is, "Don't be afraid," you know, because it's just kind of normal. 
Okay? So I think she even pondered about uh, when the angel Gabriel came before her. And he told her stuff like, you have found favor with God. That's a neat word, favor. That word favor, grace and mercy, those two words are associated strongly uh, with that word favor. It means whose walk is blameless. Not perfect. Let's not go there. It means their heart was for God. Okay, their life was blameless. Uh, a few people in, in scriptures as mentioned, Noah, Moses, Samuel, David, Elizabeth, all these people in Scripture, and there's probably more, but those ones I just picked up real quick, were all found to have favor with God. Okay? So that would have been, you know, as a 15-year-old, if somebody, if an angel appeared before me and said, you have found favor with God, you know, I'd been the first guy out the door. You know, that's just a mindset of a 15, 16-year-old. But she was listening to the, the angel tell her, you have found favor with God. Which is an interesting word that we said. Grace and mercy. And blameless. And he, and he also, he told her things like, uh, you're going to conceive and bear a son. Can you imagine that? Being told that as a 15 year old girl that's been uh, promised to Joseph that you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a, bear a son. He's going to be called the son of God. And you're going to name him Jesus. Can you kind of put yourself in Mary's position there that's some pretty heavy stuff but as a 15 year old young lady and who is blameless and has a heart for god god knew exactly what he's doing he's his perfect plan but just the type of person that mary was to have found favor with god the kind of raising that she had her parents teaching her or grandmother whoever that all that be involved you know to have to have found favor with god to be blameless uh to the type of person that Mariette was and to go be going through all this. Another one that's kind of interesting, I think she also pondered about uh, Joseph staying with her. That's a kind of an interesting dynamic also. Gabriel also visited with, with Joseph. And, and in that day and time, he had, since they were uh, promised to each other in, in marriage, but not married yet. He had every right by law to put her away to the point of stoning. He had his every legal right. He could push her out outside the gates and she could have been stoned to death because of, of uh, her breaking her promise with him uh, of being pregnant uh, out of marriage. That's kind of heavy stuff, isn't it? So I think that's another thing that she pondered about about it. Joseph was a stand-up guy. He stood up, stood with her and also had a heart for God, even though at first he was kind of like, ooh, you know, but uh, Gabriel kept talking with him and stuff, but he stayed with Mary. So I kind of think uh, she pondered a lot about that, about the kind of man that she was going to marry, a godly man that was going to stand by her through this, this different type of situation. Can you imagine some of the conversations between Joseph and Mary in this? You know, your mind just kind of goes, wow, what did they talk about in this kind of situation? Because that, that was a tough deal. So just think about it. These are, I say, these are just some things that uh, I think she also pondered about. And that word ponder, to combine together, to weigh out all this, this heavy information. It's good information, but it's heavy. So I can just imagine as a 15-year-old trying to process all of that uh, on that. So put yourself in Mary's shoes. 
Here's another thing. Maybe she pondered about uh, the visit with her uh, cousin Elizabeth. It says relative. I've always thought she's a cousin, even though there's quite an age difference. The time she, was visit she visited with her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. And uh, when they first met, and what happened? The baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb with the greeting of, of Christ. And, and Elizabeth telling her, Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And this was Elizabeth telling Mary that. You know, just those conversations. Uh, that, and I think she pondered about these things. But I, you know, here I go again. Just like I say, you ponder and you kind of wonder, what do they talk about in these situations? And here, uh, I'm like Paul here. Here, here they meet. You know, here you have Elizabeth. You know, she's six, seven, eight months pregnant maybe. And 70 years old possibly. 60, 70, 80, we don't know because Scripture doesn't tell us. Too old to have children, Scripture tells us. And here comes Mary. You know, she's kind of just getting started. And the two of them discussing. Here's a 70, 80-year-old woman and a 15-year-old uh, young lady. They're both expecting children. And the conversations, can you imagine just a conversation between them? We're like, yeah. <laughs> Neither one of us should even be pregnant. Really. But God is good. God has a plan. God has a perfect plan. He has put us in this situation. Uh, and I think the two of those, these ladies were honored and privileged to carry these uh, two men, John the Baptist and Christ our, our Lord. So just imagine those conversations. You know, your imagination kind of goes well. I mean, because this is fact. This has happened. Just like you have conversations with your own brothers, sisters, parents, whatever. They had conversations uh, on, on the realness of what was going on in their lives. A 70-year-old woman and a 15-year-old young lady, both of them uh, expecting at the same time. So my uh, question for you today is after listening to me ramble about ponder, and my favorite verse is about pondering, because that is a neat word uh, on that, that we ponder things. Are we taking time in our lives to ponder and treasure things. I would say we probably aren't. We get so busy with the hustle and bustle and going and blowing, getting presents, visiting family. All that stuff is good. It's okay. But if it's taking the place of, of worshiping our Lord, it is wrong. So my challenge for you today is take time and treasure. Be like Mary. Ponder and treasure like Mary about the true events and the true message of Christmas. Let's stop and ponder about that. Not just keep going and blowing and doing our thing and taking care of everybody. Let's stop looking at our situations and our selfish desires. We all do that. We all do. Especially this time of year because it's all, we're very materialistic people. We as Americans, we're very materialistic. So let's stop and ponder, gather, combine, and weigh out our situations that we're in, that uh, the goodness of our Lord, ponder those things, combine those things, what all, all the Lord has done for you from, from, from the moment of salvation on. Ponder and think about these things. Don't just like, oh, it's in the past, I'm going forward. But ponder and treasure like Mary did. Uh, and, and, uh, and I think she probably pondered a whole lot more than what we discussed here. 
Okay? So again, I just challenge you to stop and ponder, reflect, gather, combine of the heavenly things that our Lord God has provided for us. So, so those of you who took notes, or if you did take notes or didn't take notes, how many wrote the, the title of the song, Merry Christmas? M-E-R-R-Y. Hmm? I want you all to change that today. Okay? I want you to change that to have a Merry Christmas. M-A-R-Y. Okay? That's what we're going to do. Don't scratch out the M-E-R-R-Y. That's good. So let's just change the, th- the thought pattern of... And so as we sing our Christmas songs tonight or this year or throughout the year, let's have a Merry Christmas. Let's have a Merry, M-A-R-Y, and ponder, okay, reflect, combine all these great things that Lord God Almighty has shared with us. Because we don't deserve it, guys. We don't. We do not deserve it. Okay, He loves us that, that so much that He sent His Son. And that's what this Christmas story is about. John 3, 16. He's the begotten Son that the Lord sent. Okay? So, again, scratch out. Don't, no, don't scratch out M-E-R-R-Y. But just put right beside it, M-A-R-Y. So let's all have a Merry Christmas and, and think of Mary and how she pondered and uh, enjoy it and have a good holiday season. So I love you guys. And hopefully I didn't confuse you too much. <laughs> I thought it was just a fun topic to go through some of our songs. Uh, and just remember, when we do sing these songs, there's meaning to them. They're not just words that rhyme. There's meaning to them. These were, I believe, God-inspired songs that we sing. You know? So the words that we, we uh, discussed or went across, think of these things. They're important. And go over them on that. So, Anyway, is, we're singing the song, right? Okay, is, is our praise sing or praise singer <laughs> comes forward, I'll, I'll pray. Fathers, we uh, come to you this morning, Father, we just... Uh, just want to pause, and Father, and just reflect and just look to your goodness. Father, we're just so thankful for uh, just how much you love for us. You, you loved us so much you sent your Son. Father, in this time of season that we, uh, we do study and, and read and sing songs about uh, your birth, that Father, this should, this should be a year-long deal. Every day, Father, we should get up out of bed and just sing praises to you, for you are worthy. You are our holy God. And Father... Uh, as we do reflect, uh, just help us to be humble. Keep our hearts humble, Father, as, as we go along our way. And, Father, just take the times that we can minister to each other, just love each other, just lift each other up. But above all, Father, we just give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.